We turn in Scripture to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. We read this in connection with Lord's Day 34 of the Catechism. Psalm 62 says, To the chief musician, to Jedithan, a psalm of David. And sometimes this psalm is referred to as the only psalm because of the use of the word only in this psalm. Thou only wilt I worship. And, and that's why we read it in connection with the first commandment. Psalm 62 Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From Him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain all of you as a bowing wall, as a leaning wall, a bowing wall, as a bowing wall shall ye be and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. Or Selah. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely, men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages that we read, uh, that we look at the instruction of Lord's Day 34 of the Heidelberg Catechism, found on page 20 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 34. Question and answer 92. What is the law of God? God spake all these words, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, saying, and then what follow there is the introduction to the law and the Ten Commandments, which we've already read in the worship. Question and answer 93, how are these commandments divided? Into two tables, the first of which teaches us how we must behave towards God, the second, what duties we owe to our neighbor. What doth God enjoin in the first commandment? That I, as sincerely as I desire the salvation of my own soul, avoid and flee from all idolatry, sorcery, soothsaying, superstition, invocation of saints, or any other creatures, and learn rightly to know 
the only true God. Trust in Him alone, with humility and patience submit to Him, expect all good things from Him only, love, fear, and glorify Him with my whole heart, so that I renounce and forsake all creatures, rather than commit even the least thing contrary to His will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is, instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested Himself in His Word, to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, so far in this third section of the Catechism, we've had three sermons. In the first sermon, Lord's Day 32, we looked at the positive place and function of good works in the life of the believer. We looked at the necessity of good works, the inevitability of good works, because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit after His own image. So we've looked at the necessity of good works. We also looked at the, um, the purpose of good works, that we might show God our thankfulness and that we might praise Him. And we looked at the profit or the benefit of good works, that we might be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof, and that others might be gained to Christ. That was the first sermon. In the second sermon, in this third section of the Catechism, we looked at conversion. And we looked at how it is a spirit-worked life of conversion that brings forth good works. That's why conversion is so important, because it's through conversion, through this daily, lifelong activity of turning from sin to God, that we bring forth good works, and we show our thankfulness to God for the salvation He has freely given us in Christ. And then in the third sermon, we looked at what good works actually are. We really slowed down, and we looked at what good works are, first as work, And second, what good works are as good. And we saw that part of the definition of a good work is this. It must be done according to God's law. It must be done also out of a true faith and to God's glory, but it must be done according to God's law. And now, having said that, the catechism turns our attention to a careful study of God's law so that we might know what good works look like in the sight of God. So this morning, we're beginning a study of the Ten Commandments. So we understand where we are in the Catechism. We understand what we are doing. We are in the third section of the Catechism on thankfulness, and we are now looking once again at the law of God in order to see what is holy and acceptable in God's sight. And we want to do that because we want to show God our thanks. And we want to bring forth good works. And the law is going to guide us into what a life of thankfulness and what a life of good works looks like. Now, at the risk of belaboring the point, let me say this. Here in this third section of the Catechism, we are not looking at the law in order to obtain our righteousness before God. We are not looking at the law now in order to earn God's favor. No, we already know that we are righteous in Jesus Christ. We already have God's favor through Jesus Christ. Rather, we are now looking at the law because it's our authoritative guide. 
as we pursue a life of good works and a life of obedience to God's glory. The law reveals to us the will of God. Now, in the first section of the Catechism, you also looked at the law. You looked at the summary of the law. And what was emphasized in the first section of the Catechism is that the law shows us our sin and misery. Whence knowest thou thy misery? Out of the law of God. And the law then drove us to seek our hope and our salvation only in Jesus Christ and not through our keeping of the law. That's what's referred to as the second use of the law. The law shows us our sin. You've covered that. In fact, we covered that in both the first and second sections of the Catechism. And indeed, as we go through the third section of the Catechism, as we go through the law again, we're going to see all these things again. Because as you study the law in detail, we're now going to see how deep and how all-comprehensive the law is. And we're going to see that as renewed children of God, we have but only a small beginning of the new obedience. And as we study the law in detail, we're going to see our sins. The law is going to expose to us more of our sins. That's inevitable. And seeing our sins... We're also going to be driven to seek the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ alone. That's what's going to happen in this third section of the Catechism. And that's a good thing. But the point I'm making right now is this. We have already covered those things. Now, it's good to be reminded of those things. We're not going to minimize those things. To be reminded of our sin and misery and our need for Christ is inevitable when you study the law. But the point now is this. In the third section of the Catechism, our focus and our approach is especially now that we might see the third use of the law, not the second use of the law showing us our sin and misery, but the third use of the law, how the law is now our friend in Christ, and how the law now teaches us to live in good works as those who belong to Jesus Christ. And that's our emphasis as we now take another more detailed look at the Ten Commandments. We understand in Christ, the law cannot curse us anymore. Christ took the curse of the law upon himself to the cross. We've covered that. We know the gospel of our salvation. But the emphasis is now how we as the renewed children of God are to live before the face of God and show him our thankfulness and give him our praise in a life of good works. That's our emphasis now. And that's what we want too, isn't it? I think we're excited as we begin the Ten Commandments Because we are renewed by the Holy Spirit. We are thankful for God's gift of salvation. And we want to know how to give Him our praise. We want to know God's law deeply. Because we want to give Him our thanks. That is the Christian life. So that's what we're doing. With those comments, we now take the plunge. And we delve right into a study of the first commandment. We take as our theme this morning, worshiping God as God Alone. We look at three things. First, what is required. Second, what is prohibited. And third, what is our confidence as we look at the first commandment. The first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it's the first commandment because it is the fundamental commandment. This first commandment is foundational for everything that follows. If you get this first commandment wrong then the rest of your life is going to be wrong too. The way you think about God is the way your whole life will go. This first commandment is fundamental. 
Now, to truly understand this commandment, to understand what is required, it's profitable for us to ask two questions. First, who is God? And second, who are we? Who is God and who are we? First, who is God? Well, we know who God is. God is our Savior. God is our refuge and our strength. He is our rock and our salvation. As, we've, as you've gone through the catechism, you've had it put before you many times. God is our Father. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He is our God and our Father for Jesus' sake. That's who He is. And He's the sovereign God. As we sang it already, our sovereign and maker is He. He's the maker of the heavens and the earth. He's the one who not only created all things, but He's the one who even right now is sustaining all things by His providential hand. He's the high and holy one. He is the transcendent one, infinitely above all creatures and all His creation. He's the thrice holy one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. He's the eternal one who has no beginning or end. He's the infinite one. He's the unchanging, immutable one. And yet He's also the imminent one who's present with His whole being in every part of His creation. He's the living God who enjoys a life of covenant fellowship and friendship within Himself. He's the God of love. He is love. God is love. He is mercy. He is grace. He is justice. He is truth. He is righteousness. And He's the God who delights in these things. He is Jehovah, the I am that I am, who has established a relationship of fellowship and friendship with His people. He gives promises to His people, and He keeps those promises. He's the one, He is God, who has revealed Himself in the Scriptures. That's what the Scriptures are, the revelation by God of Himself. And He is the one who has revealed Himself in and through Jesus Christ who is God, come in the flesh, who walked among us. And He is the one who is, at the same time, so holy that it's only through Jesus Christ that one can come to God. And yet He's also the God who is so merciful that He has provided Jesus Christ so that all who come to Him in the name of Jesus Christ know His mercy and know the forgiveness of sins. Because He's the God who delights in these things. He is the sum total of all infinite perfections. He's worthy of all our praise and all that we are. There is no end to speaking of the greatness of our God. And God is the great reality in our lives. He is the great reality. Whatever the reality of your life is right now, God is the great reality in your life. Now, we can say many things about God, but one thing I would especially emphasize this morning is that this God is one God, and He is God alone. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There are not many gods. There is only one God. There is only one who can be rightly called God, and that is the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Bible. Everything else is but a figment of man's depraved imagination. And everything else is really an attack on the one true God. We live in a world, in a culture that embraces pluralism. 
A culture that says there are many gods and and you're all free to worship the God of your own choosing, the God of your own making. In fact, the reality is because we get to determine who to worship, we really are gods ourselves. We're the ones in control. We're the sovereign ones who determine what truth is. At least we get to determine what truth is for ourselves. That's our culture. That's not reality. We are not the ones in control. We are not God. If there's anything that is plain in your life and my life and in the lives of the people around us, it is this. We are not God. We are weak. We are sinful. We are so dependent. We have nothing but what God first gives us. God is God alone. And God is one. You cannot... The the pre-confession class studied that in one of the first lessons this fall. God is a simple being. You cannot divide God up into parts. He's not like a Lego set made up of blocks that you can take apart piece by piece. No, He is a simple being. He is one perfect unity. And if you're going to worship God and have no other gods before you, then you must acknowledge all of who He is. You cannot pick and choose which part of God that you want to worship. That's idolatry. No, God is one, and you, we worship Him by worshiping all of Him. And, and we could say by worshiping all of Him at once. We simply humble ourselves before Him, and we adore Him, and adore all of Him. And we don't critique Him, and we don't try to pit God against Himself, but we worship Him, and Him alone, and we worship all of Him. God is one God, and God is God alone. That is who God is, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first question. The second question we need to ask is this, who are we? Who are we? Well, we are God's handiwork. We are God's craftsmanship. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is true. But the reality is also, of ourselves, we are nothing. Nothing but dust and sinners besides. We, we are those who have spoiled God's good, perfect creation and brought it under the curse. All our life is from God. We are His creatures, His creation. And all that we are and all that we have must be devoted to the Creator in worship, to His glory and praise. That's why He created us. And this is what is right according to His own standard. For His pleasure we are, we exist, and we're created for His pleasure. We are creatures of His handiwork. He is the great reality in our lives. He is God. He is our God. He is always the one with whom we have to do every second of the day. Now, there are many more things we could say about ourselves, but what I would especially emphasize this morning is this. Who are we? We are worshipers. We are worshipers. That's how God created us. It's built into our very nature. We will worship. We were created as servants. We were created to serve and to worship, and we will worship. And we are worshiping all the time. Everything we do, every second of the day, is an act of worship. Think about that for a moment. Everything you do is an act of worship. So the question comes, whom are you serving? Whom are you trusting? To whom are you crying out for help? Who is the one ultimately in whom you place your hope? That's your God. When you went to work this past week, for whom were you working? 
ultimately, was I working for myself? Even as a pastor, was I working for myself? Or was I working for the Lord? When you were yelling the other day, whom were you worshiping? When you were yelling, whose will were you obeying? God's will or or someone else's will? When you gave that person a bad attitude, whom were you worshiping? These These are the two questions. Who is God and who are we? God is God alone and we are worshipers. And so here comes the first commandment and it says, worship God and worship God alone. And here you see how this commandment is fundamental. Everything flows from this. How do I use the Sabbath day? By submitting to God's will for the Sabbath day. How do I use God's name? By using it reverently as God commands. How do I interact with my parents? By honoring them as my God commands. I worship Him and Him alone. So now having those two questions put before us and answered, we come to the question, what is required here? God is God, we are worshipers. What does it mean now to worship God as God alone? Well, the catechism gives us a very clear answer. Notice with me the second half of answer 94. The second half of answer 94. And learn rightly to know the only true God. Trust in Him alone, with humility and patience, submit to Him, expect all good things from Him only, love, fear, and glorify Him with my whole heart, so that I renounce and forsake all creatures, that is, all created things, rather than commit even the least thing contrary to His will. That's what it means to have God as God alone. I have five things to point out. First, I learn rightly to know the only true God. I learn to know Him rightly. That is, I study who this God is. I don't make up a God of my own imaginations. I don't want that. I seek out a proper right understanding of God Himself. I need to know Him. And what that means is that I study His Word. That's where He's revealed Himself. It means I spend time with Him in His Word. It means I gladly come to church and I sit under the preaching, which reveals God to me. It means we look to Jesus Christ and we come to know Jesus and we study Jesus more deeply because it's through Jesus that the Creator of heaven and earth has revealed Himself. In Jesus, God reveals His attributes even on a higher, more fuller, uh, on a fuller level than than what He's done in creation. In Jesus Christ, I see God's power. Not just to bring life out of nothing. That's one thing. But to bring life out of death. That's what God reveals to us in Christ about Himself. We see His grace. Not to make all things good and perfect without sin, but to save sinners, to show favor to sinners. And in Christ, we see God's wisdom ordaining all things, not just so that you have a perfect, wonderful creation, but ultimately so that everything leads to the new heavens and the new earth, where everything is united in Jesus Christ. That shows God's wisdom more fully. 
So I, I study Christ. It means I study His law, which is also a, a revelation of the character and the will of God. That's what we're doing as we take up a study of God's law in these next Lord's days. We're coming to know God rightly. That's our concern. What is God's will? By nature, I don't know God rightly. I need to study. I need to study. That's what Bible study is about. That's what family devotions are about. Children, that's what learning your catechism is all about. How can I worship God if I don't even know Him? And the more I know Him, the better I can worship Him. Honestly, how can we say we are concerned about worshiping God if we're not even concerned about rightly knowing Him? If I'm concerned about worshiping Him, I want to make sure I know Him rightly. These things go together. The more I know Him, the more I know His great works in and through Jesus Christ, the more I will also see He is worthy of all my worship. He is worthy of all my trust, all my obedience, all my hoping, and all my love. Because He is great in every way. He must be worshipped. So first, I learn rightly to know Him. That's the first commandment. Know Him rightly. Second, I trust in Him alone. Now, that's especially why we read from Psalm 62 this morning. Because in Psalm 62, the psalmist emphasizes this point. His trust is only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. Verse 1. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. That means, truly, I am trusting in God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. Only Him. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your hearts to Him. He is a refuge for us. Trust only Him. And to trust God is to look to God for all your needs. And you trust His promises. You trust His covenant faithfulness. That He is the I am that I am. Who remembers the promises that He made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To be their God and the God of His seed. To trust God is instead of taking matters into your own hands and sinning. You seek God out in prayer and you cry out to Him for help. The consistory actually just read it in devotions this past week from Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. That's the first commandment. That's the first thing you do. It's the first commandment. Third, to have God as God alone means I submit to Him with humility and patience. He is God. I am not. He is God. He knows what is best. I do not. He is God. He says in His Word that He works all things together for good to His people. I know this. I trust Him. And I submit to this Word. I submit to it. How can I be angry at God? How, how can I shake my fist at God? That's idolatry. That's ultimately to say, 
God, I would make a better God than you. If only I were God. That's idolatry. And that's when you fall into every sin on the face of the earth. I submit to Him with humility and patience. And then fourth, we expect all good things from Him only. As the psalmist puts it, Psalm 62 verse 5, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. I don't look to others to provide my daily bread. I don't look to others to deliver me from temptation. God's the one who sits on the throne, no one else. So I look to Him. I look to Him to supply my needs. That's worship. And then fifth, we love, fear, and glorify Him with our whole heart. So much so that we would renounce and forsake all creatures renounce and forsake the whole world, my whole family, everything, then commit even the least thing contrary to His will. That's powerful language the catechism uses. He is my joy. He is my hope. He is my life. Because Thy loving kindness is better than life to me, my lips shall praise Thee. To know Him, that's my joy. As I walk through life, that's my joy. He's mine and I am His. My beloved is mine and I am His. So I praise Him. I love Him and I fear Him and glorify Him with my whole heart. At home, with my family, with my spouse, at bedtime, tucking in the children, in the church, privately, wherever I am, I praise God, I praise His perfections, I praise His dealings with me, And I give him thanks. And I mean it. Because I know him. And I know he is God. And he is perfect. And again, how do we do all these things properly? Well, by rightly knowing him. That's where it starts. Being in his word. Constantly looking to Jesus Christ. You know, God is not just some product of our imagination. No, he is is God. He is is the one who has existence in himself. Even if I never existed, even if none of us ever existed, God himself would exist. And even if I don't know him rightly, he still exists and he's still the God that he is. But in order to worship him and have him truly as my God, I must rightly know him. That's what's required in the first commandment. And this is just an introduction Because in every other commandment we're going to look at, it's going to come back to this commandment. Who is your God? And whose will are you going to obey? Who is your God? Can't worship Him through images. Can't take His name in vain. Keep His day holy. That's God. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's will. That's who your God is. Well, that's what is required to further understand the requirement of this first commandment. We should consider what it prohibits. And what it prohibits is idolatry. And what is idolatry? Well, the Catechism puts it nicely, question and answer 95. What is idolatry? Idolatry is instead of or besides that one true God, beside the one true God who has manifested himself in his word, to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. To put it another way, an idol is anything that you want so badly that you are willing to break God's commandments for it. You want something so badly that you're willing to break God's commandments for it. 
Or, to put it another way, an idol is anything that so rules you, so rules you, that you turn away from God in order to obey what your idol is telling you to do. That's idolatry. Turning away from God to listen to what my idol is telling me to do. I think we know what an idol is, but let's get specific. How about this? You want to feel good about yourself, so instead of loving your neighbor as God commands, you make fun of him. You make fun of her. That's idolatry. Don't make fun of someone else in order to feel better about yourself. That's idolatry. You want to feel good about yourself, so instead of being a steward of your body, as God commands, you indulge repeatedly in gluttonous behavior. That's idolatry. Don't make an idol of yourself. You want to be sexually aroused. Or maybe you feel you need to cope with the stresses of life. So instead of possessing your vessel in sanctification and honor, as God commands, you go on the internet and you look at porn. That's idolatry. You are committing idolatry in front of that computer screen. You're bowing down to an idol. You're listening to what your idol is telling you to do. And we don't want to do that because we love the Lord. We're thankful for our salvation and we want to worship Him. So I throw this out of my life and get rid of it. In fact, I hate it. You want to look good in front of others. Or maybe you are about to lose an argument, so instead of living in the truth as God commands, you lie. You speak a lie and you put your trust in what the lie can do for you. That's idolatry. When you are lying, that is idolatry. You want to feel what it is to have a boyfriend. So instead of honoring your parents and listening to their wisdom, as God commands, you instead go your own way and you start dating that boy that you know you shouldn't be dating. That's idolatry. Don't make an idol of your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And I would say, run away from any boy who would encourage you to make him your idol. Run away from any boy or girl who who would encourage you to bow down to him in order to get his approval. Yes, it might be a nice feeling to get someone else's approval or to receive someone's expressions of love and approval, but, but don't you want God's approval? Don't you want to do what honors the Lord? And I would say in your dating relationships, worship God together. Seek his will for your dating life. That's the first commandment. Another example, you want to satisfy your craving for sleep. So instead of going to church on Sunday, as God commands you, you sleep in on Sunday and you miss church. That's idolatry. That's not just laziness. Let's let's call it for what it is. It's idolatry. Does your church attendance reveal this kind of idolatry in your life? Or you want to have a happier life. So you choose to go to a church that compromises the truth, that's not founded on God's word, and you force yourself to believe that this is all okay because, well, I still love God in my heart. Love God and then do what you want. Right? That's idolatry. Ask yourself, what is your joy in life? Whom do you love? 
Do you honestly love honoring the Lord? Glorying in the name of Jesus Christ. Doing His will, knowing this is right. Do you love that? Or do you love yourself? The child of God, renewed by the Holy Spirit after the image of Jesus, honestly does love God. He does. You do. And so he hates these other things and he flees from them. He learns from God's word that these things are wrong and displeasing to the Lord. And so he puts these things away from him. That's the first commandment. Ask yourself, what are you living for? Sometimes this takes some working through, doesn't it? We, we actually have to sit down maybe and actually meditate. That's what self-examination is. We're going to be doing that this week as we partake of the Lord's Supper next Sunday. This is self-examination. What actually drives me. That's part of it. What motivates me? Doing the Lord's will or maybe meeting someone else's expectations. Doing the Lord's will or satisfying my own cravings in life. What actually drives your life? Ask yourself, where do you find security? Do you find security under the shadow of God's wing? Or do you find that security in money? I bring that up because that is also brought up in Psalm 62. Psalm 62 verse 10. Trust not in oppression. Don't trust what oppression can do for you. And become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Don't trust in money. Don't trust in your craftiness so that you can swindle them and maybe oppress them and rob them and gain riches. Even if you are an honest person and your riches increase, don't set your heart upon them. And then verse 11 goes on and says, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. God is the one in control. God is always the one in control. Put your trust in Him. So idolatry is instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested in himself in his word to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. Where do you put your trust? To put it another way, an idol is anything you want so badly that you are willing to break God's commandments for it. Or to put it another way, an idol is something that so rules you so that you turn away from God in order to obey what the idol is telling you to do. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So we've looked at the requirement of the first commandment, and we've looked at what is prohibited in the first commandment. Now briefly, we look at what is our confidence. And I mean that from this point of view. Where is our confidence when it comes to keeping this first commandment? Well, here too, it's the exact same thing. Our confidence, our trust is not in ourselves. You see, that's the consistency of the Reformed faith. That's the consistency of the Scriptures. It's not like we trust God for all these other things, and now in the end we're going to trust ourselves for trusting God. No, but we, we trust God for all things. We have no confidence in ourselves. 
By nature, we are idolaters. We've seen that this morning again. We've seen our sins. By nature, we, we refuse to worship God. As John Calvin so aptly put it, our, our sinful nature is a perpetual factory of idols, constantly churning out idols from one day to the next. So prone are we to idols that even here, when it comes now to this issue, the temptation is still there to slip in something of ourselves and to say, my confidence here is in myself. I need to go home and be strong in myself, trust myself to do what pleases the Lord. That's not it. Our confidence is not in ourselves, but our confidence is in God. First of all, congregation, we are already righteous in Jesus Christ. Who is he that condemneth? It is God that justifieth. We already saw that. Lord's Day 23. What does it profit you now that you know all of this? That I am righteous in Christ. I know that. And then second, I also know that he who has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I know the truth of the preservation of the saints. God does not forsake the work of his hands. He will perfect that which concerns you. He will give you grace. He will give us strength. His promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, God has set us free from idolatry. Set free to put away all idolatry from me. I work out my salvation with fear and trembling because it is God which works it in me, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, this is not minimizing our responsibility for anything. We have responsibility, but it is emphasizing that in everything, even as we now hear these commandments, and we hear this first commandment, and we see how all comprehensive it is for life, we see that our confidence here too is in God. He is faithful. He is faithful. And when I look to Him for help, when I pray Psalm 62, truly my soul waiteth upon God, from Him cometh my salvation. then God, God even works that in us. And we experience that. And we take joy in that. And then we praise God for that too. This is how awesome and powerful and good my God is. And so even knowing that, knowing that in everything, my confidence is in God, we're even more and more moved to put away the idols from our life and look only to God and trust in Him alone and submit to Him and expect all good, even here, expect this good from Him that he will renew me more and more after his image and love and fear and glorify him. And so with every commandment, and right here at the very beginning, we repeat what Augustine said many years ago when he said, command what thou wilt and give what thou commandest. Command what thou wilt so that I renounce and forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing contrary to God's will. Command that of me, Lord. And then give it to me. Command what thou wilt and give what thou commandest. Help me, Lord. Help me to keep thy commandments. Thou art God alone. Thou art the God of my salvation. And I am thankful. I'm thankful. Help me. Help me. Cause me. Work within me to keep thy commandments. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of keeping this first commandment. That's why I'm even saying this and and taking the time to say this. Because that too, all of that is the keeping of the first commandment. Of Him and through Him and to Him 
are all things. Worship Him, beloved. Worship Him alone in all of life. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for revealing Thy Word to us. We thank Thee for this clear instruction from the Catechism. Write Thy law upon our hearts, O Lord. Strengthen us in the inner man that we might be thankful and we might enjoy that life of thankfulness, that we might live and die happily serving Thee. We thank Thee for Jesus Christ, through whom all these things are possible. And we pray that His name might be exalted in and through our whole life. In His name we pray. Amen.